Chaim Shaharazani, and in the news, the talks on a nuclear deal with Iran continue in Vienna, while the Tehran Times publishes a severe warning threatening Israel titled Just One Wrong Move. What's happening and what should we expect moving forward? To discuss this important issue, we have the pleasure of speaking today with my good friend, Dr. Eric Mandel, the founder and director of MEPIN, Middle East Political and Information Network, and a prolific writer and speaker. Dr. Mandel has recently met with and briefed elected officials on Capitol Hill on those very issues and also traveled to Israel in this regard. We are so curious to hear his thoughts on the matter. Eric, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, my friend. I'm so happy to be here. So, so let's dive straight into it. What's the current state of affairs um, with the Islamic Republic of Iran? Okay, so what I thought I would be great to do with your viewers is just to think about what we're dealing with. So everybody's on the same footing here. So let's remember what Iran's two goals are. And they say them themselves. This is not me saying it. Basically, it's expansionism, hegemony, and the destruction of Israel. So I want to quote four people, and I think this will lay the groundwork for our conversation. So this week, the head of the Iranian Armed Forces um, spokesman said, quote, we will not back down even a single, single millimeter from our goal of erasing it, Israel, from the geographical map of the world. Even if we get, even if we, Iran, get chopped up into pieces, this is our biggest ideal. I wanted to take a step back. A couple of years ago, Henry Kissinger, what did he say? And this was when the JCPOA started the Iran nuclear deal. We should not fool ourselves. I don't believe that Iran, the Iran deal, the JCPOA, with so many escape clauses, will do anything other than bring nuclear weapons all over the Middle East proliferation. Iran can't give up Islamist imperialism. President Obama at the time, the deal that we'll accept is they end their nuclear program. And this week, the head of the IAEA, Rafael Grossi, told the Associated Press that the restrictions faced by his inspectors in Iran threatened to give the world only a, quote, very blurred image of Tehran's program as it enriches uranium, uranium closer than ever to weapons-grade levels. So with that as a background, and because so many people in our polarized world have views that follow their political inclinations, my job when I go to Congress and I speak, I spoke to um, the uh, head, the ranking member of the Senate uh, Foreign Affairs Committee last Thursday, literally a week ago, briefing him on Iran, talking about it. Um, my goal, and I work on both sides of the aisle, is to talk about the facts in context. And that's something that as American Jews who love Israel, who want Israel to exist and flourish, we need to do with dispassionate eyes and see it as it is. So based on your, your conversations and the quotes that you just mentioned, what is important for people? You know, there is so much noise around the issue. What is important for people to remember when thinking about Iran's uh, regional and international role? Who is Iran and what does it want to achieve? So, you know, very often, and this came up with my article um, this week in the Jerusalem uh, Post, who is, I, who is Iran? Is Iran like any other authoritarian regime? Are they like China? Are they like Russia? Or are they different? And I think this, the, they are, my, my thesis is very strong, I believe, they are very different. This is a revolutionary, like 
China, a revolutionary kind of ideology, communism, but it's an Islamist, and it's a 12 Shia Shiism. And they are, 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 are wanting to have not only go back to the great days of Persia pre-Islam and expansionism and hegemony, but they believe that their form of Islam is the legitimate form of Islam, which is why they're so antagonistic to the Sunnis, the majorities in the Muslim world. So there, I, I want to pause you for a minute. You're depicting this um, this almost hellish extremist um, vision of the regime, and yet so many of the uh, Western viewers have gotten used to seeing people like Rouhani, former President Rouhani, and former Foreign Minister Javad Zarif, who sound so tolerant and so moderate, and use you know terms like human rights and justice, and they they seem almost pleasant. How do you explain that contradiction? You can fool some of the people all the time. Um, the Iranians, first of all, let's just make a differentiation between the Iranian people and the Iranian regime. The Iranian people, if given the chance, would be free and they would probably be Western oriented. The Iranian regime is a repressive regi regime that hangs um, any dissidents, hangs gays. It is a, an abusive um, uh, regime and they, they control the economy. Um, the Supreme Leader's uh, conglomerate is worth tens, if not hundreds of billions of dollars. Um, so we, we're dealing with something that the West, and this is, I think, where we guess the essence of your question. We project how we would react if we were the Iranians. And it is not condescending to say that the Iranians um, are different. They think differently. In fact, this whole part of the world thinks differently. And that is what has hurt American foreign policy again and again and again, not just with Iran, but how we look at Afghanistan and how we look at the Israeli-Palestinian conflict and all of these things. The one common factor is the West thinks it knows better and it thinks we all think the same. And we think that economics is the major driver, if only because everybody just wants to feed their own people. And that's what it's about. But authoritarian regimes, Islamist, if you will, jihadist regimes will hurt their own people for their greater goal. And your quote at the beginning uh, with regards to their um, end game of seeing Israel annihilated, it's not just, you know, a, a statement made out of the blue. It's really foundational to the regime's way of thinking, isn't it? I mean, you know, the uh, supreme leader. And by the way, when we talk about the president, you talk about Rouhani. Now the president is a guy named Racy, um, uh, who was the butcher of Baghdad. He was the head of the death squads and, 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 and personally responsible for the killing of thousands of Iranians. Um, I, you know, th that's who's there now. So let's differentiate. But, but he's really but he's really, as you say, he's the face of that regime as you expect it, whereas Rouhani, the former president, was was trying to show a kind of a more mellow version of, uh, of, of Iran, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, they did a very good job in bamboozling Kerry um, and, you know, and, and, and the administration. And again, the administration had a different goal when it came in in 2009. The last administration, the, the book two administration ago, the Obama administration believed that it wanted to rebalance the playing field. It believed if it brought Iran into the family of nations, normalized it, they, with reciprocity, would have become more tolerant and maybe not want to destroy Israel. Unfortunately, in this part of the world, 
that was perceived as weakness and weakness is perceived as something to take advantage of. And Iran has been taking advantage of the United States um, from the way it was negotiated. Now, I'll give you an example of why we're going right back to, the, we're gonna go back to the Iran nuclear deal. What did we, the, the Obama administration do? We gave a terrorist state the right to enrich. That doesn't mean they couldn't use nuclear material for um, uh, civilian needs. Why, and why a country so fossil few um, uh, blessed would need that. But what every other country in the world other than the big powers does is they spend the uranium that they get at low grade and they have to give it out and it's accounted for every tiny little bit. We gave them the right to continue enriching. We gave them the right to to, to develop advanced uh, centrifuges um, with um, no inspections of military sites. Um, and we have to understand what Iran does. And this is not disparaging Islam, but they practice tadia, which basically means that you can dissimulate to advance your goals, religiously sanctioned, if you will, lying. And they do this again and again. And, you know, fool me once, shame on you. But for the United States, fool me a thousand times, shame on us again and again and again, because this affects American national security interests. I'm an American. I speak in Congress for American national security interests that are coincident with Israel, to my mind, 95 plus percent of the time. And what we have done um, is, is, is hurt our security interests, made us more likely that we're going to get pulled back into the Middle East for war. So just to understand um, the issue with the nuclear talks in Vienna, what's happening now and what happened in the past. So the uh, past agreement with the Obama administration, the U.S. withdrew from it under President Trump. And now the United States is renegotiating an agreement with the Islamic Republic of Iran in the hopes of what? I mean, the past agreement was bad. But let me ask you honestly, uh, Dr. Mandel, don't you think that withdrawing from the agreement and practically giving the Iranians the freedom to run forward, you know, unhinged and unshackled, didn't that at the end of the day harm the interests of the U.S. and Israel in the world? So I will tell you what I said back in, I think it was 2017 when President Trump withdrew. I was against withdrawing. And I'll tell you why. What I was, I was, I said, leave that, leave everything in place. It's a horrifically bad deal, but it does cause a pause. It delays Iran from moving forward. What I recommended, and what President Obama promised but never followed through with, was sanctions that were enforced on its missiles, on its human rights, on its expansionism that we should have made equal to or greater than the sanctions that were on nuclear. And then if Iran wanted to walk away, the world would have been with us. So I think it was a mistake to move away, but it was a mistake because we had already stopped enforcing sanctions. Now, let me just tell you, I'll tell you something the American people don't know right now about sanctions. American people don't know that we have already been appeasing Iran and we have stopped enforcing many of the sanctions that are there. They're supposed to be, we're still enforcing them. And you'll read every once in a while in the New York Times saying we have a new sanction of this or that. But the truth be told is that the secondary sanctions for Iranian oil sales to China, which is a lifeblood for them, 
We are not enforcing. We are allowing Iran to sell Iraq electricity, which is giving them hard currency. And that is undermining us because it gives them leverage. They're now economically stronger. We, maximum sanctions, but they didn't have to be nuclear sanctions, were making a difference. Because American timeframe, we're all about solutionism. That we if we didn't get the answer yesterday or in the next day or two, then we give up. Think about the Cold War. We had an open-ended time frame that until the, the communist first there was containment and then until the regime fell. We need to have patience for sanctions to work. We never had the patience and our allies don't have the patience. And so we have to get out of projecting a Western time frame on a part of the world that thinks in centuries. The, I think one of the most important points, um, Eric, that you're mentioning, and I, I want all of our viewers to really absorb, is the issue that we've always gotten used to speaking about Iran through the nuclear prism, whether it's going to have a nuclear weapon or not. And then uh, we completely ignore this aspect of Iran and the, the negative role it plays, not just regionally, and I'm sure you, you, you'll be able to elaborate on that, but also specifically within Iran, the human rights ab abuses, the LGBTQ, the notorious Evin prison. I have to ask you, and I'm sure everybody's asking themselves, how come in a world that's supposed to be so human rights conscious is looking the other way from a regime that in 2022 almost still torments and tortures its citizens and hold millions of people hostage to its delusional um, aspirations of regional destruction. How could that even be? It's called hypocrisy. Um, listen, we have to view how we work in this part of the world. This is not about shared values, it's about shared interests. So we're basically lenient on Iran, but horrifically um, difficult on Saudi Arabia. We look the other way on Turkey because it's the eastern flank of NATO, but yet with Iran, where they have basically embedded themselves and control Lebanon, and they control now Syria, and they basically have a proxy in Yemen, and they're in the process of taking Iraq there. And this, their nefarious behaviors none of these are an American uh, advantage. And if the people who are, and there's people on the right and the left who just want to leave this region, we can leave the region, but the region will never leave us. It will suck us back in. And right now, actually, one of the things I was discussing in Congress last week was the tiny American presence of non-combat forces mainly in Syria and in Iraq, maybe 3,000 in total, that disproportionately give us leverage that people want to leave. If we leave, the message reverberates around the world. America is abandons its friends and allies. So Iran, what does it do internally, domestically? This is the number one state sponsor of terror outside and with its own people. You can, they are notorious to make messages of hanging people from cranes. What they do, how the idea that our progressive American community is on the same side of Iran of what they do to LGBTQ community there, um, what they do to journalists, what they do to opposition leaders. But basically, the, our, the left part of our world, the far left part of our world, looks at everything through Iran, nuclear, and Israel, 
And Israel is the problem, not Iran. And it is mind boggling as an American and it's mind boggling because Israel is an indispensable ally for American national security interests. It is really mind boggling. Um, so now let's just take a few minutes to understand a little bit about the uh, negotiations in Vienna. What do you think will be a positive result of those talks? And what is the status of those talks at the moment? Okay, so what are our choices? Um, we can rejoin the old deal. It's impossibility to rejoin the old deal, but rejoin something like it updated. We can do, which is what um, Blinken um, has uh, been talking about, which is a less for less deal. So they'll give us less, they'll pause a little bit and we'll give them a little less sanctions. Um, we can let them go along their way and America could offer Israel a nuclear umbrella or give them some of the means to fight, to threaten Iran if they really threaten Israel uh, nuclear or if they ever attack Israel. Um, there could be a preemptive attack of Israel, a preemptive attack by Israel um, on nuclear facilities. Um, and um, we could increase our sanctions and do, go back to maximal sanctions. So what are, what are the possibilities? That's really laying it all out. My feeling, and I'm a contrarian on this, is I believe Iran eventually is going to agree to something. I think they're just playing us. Um, because it's in their advantage. First, when two parties... So, so they, have, they have been playing hardball at the moment in the talks in Vienna. Yeah, so they've asked for way more than was in the JCPOA, so they can look like to American or Western eyes that they um, ha have conceded something. But they've asked for way more, which is kind of crazy. Um, and by the way, the demeaning nature that we, are, America, allow ourselves to be done in the Vienna talks, we're not allowed, to, because of Iran, to enter the room to negotiations. We have to have the Europeans there negotiating with the Iranians who go down the hall and talk to the Americans. How, a, how we, a unipolar superpower, are being treated by a third-rate terrorist state and allowing it to go on, the Iranians say, wow, we're, we're on equal footing to the United States. They're not. This regime can collapse. And I'm going to say it, and people hate to hear the words, but America's only goal to make this more stable there is for the Iranian people to rise up. We support them and they have regime change. Something President Obama in 2009 to our detriment withdrew from supporting the millions of people of Iranians who went into the streets during the Green Revolution who could have maybe toppled the regime. We should, American ideals and values, we should be supporting people who wanna take charge of their lives. Regime change, we're not talking, everybody has regime change. They think you're a war monger. You're not a war monger. You want this regime to change because it is unrepentant and it is something just like, I want the regime to change in North Korea. I would like the regime to change in Russia and Miramar um, and in China. Um, I would like those, I'm not going out and, and doing it kinetically but we can create- You're hoping that, for a movement from within that could be facilitated by outside measures. Absolutely. And America, at least rhetorically, should be there to help the people there. Um, the Iranian- but when, you're, when you're saying unrepenting uh, regime, I think it's, uh, it's a good uh, chance to remind everyone that only a couple of months ago, the FBI unraveled a scheme to assassinate um, an Iranian uh, you know, pro-human rights journalist who sits in Washington, Masih al-Majindiyad, 
Um, she was the the one who, you know, you saw the images of the FBI at her home, and this was just recent, not to mention the many other activities that the Iranian regime is taking on the high seas and through cyber attacks against Israel and who knows uh, against uh, other entities around the world. So it continuously and unabashedly upholds its mission of regional destruction and chaos. So I'll tell you something that resonates when I talk to officers on one side of the aisle. Iranian and Hezbollah's involvement in South America in the drug trade and money laundering, the opioids and the billions that they make, which enrich their regime, and those opioids end up on our shores and feeding our opioid epidemic with dead young Americans because of what Iran and Hezbollah, which are one in the same, are doing. People have their, don't even know this is going on, and this has been going on for many, many years. That's just one of the things. Now, as far as cyber attacks go, cyber attacks go both ways. Um, and this is a worldwide problem and, and of going on. In America, I, I've talked to experts, there are tens of thousands of cyber attempts in America, uh, attacking America on a daily basis. The vast majority we thought, with what? And most of the, and anything that comes through, it's only if it's successful. There have been ones that have affected um, the dams in, in Westchester County. Um, you know, there, there are ones hitting the electrical grid. There, there are so many pinning our banking system. Um, you know, in our type of world, um, you know, of the internet and, and the cloud, we are very vulnerable. And these don't just, Iran is a major problem, but they also come from Russia and China and lots and criminal networks. Um, so cyber is a huge, huge problem. And by the way, Israel is also facing this. And so it, we're always sort of playing catch up in the cyber world. And that really scares me tremendously. Um, so in this regard, uh, what is your hope? Again, and you're mentioning sanctions continuously. Is there any hope? that the word sanctions may be part of a, an attempt directed at what you said, the missile program, the human rights abuses, um, the Iranian negative role played around the world, regardless of the nuclear agreement? Like, do you see a situation where the, the West and the US sign another agreement with Iran, and at the same time, regardless of the nuclear issue, continue to pursue the human rights issue through sanctions? Or in case of such an agreement, as weak or strong as it may be, sanctions are off the table completely? So there's two parts. One is sanctions that are there and sanctions that could be. I think you're going to get messaging um, that the, if you will, virtue signaling, we're going to increase more sanctions, but they're, they're not going to be of importance. It's more important is there are plenty of strong sanctions there. There should be more. It's the enforcement of them. And we already have withdrawn enforcement. I am not positive. I'm not, I'm not optimistic that we're going to do it because you got to realize Israel and America have two different red lines on the Iranian nuclear program. The American red line on the nuclear program is they don't totally they don't totally weaponize their program. There are three parts. There's uranium enrichment. There's plutonium. We'll put that aside. They're there. They can go to 90% in a couple of weeks. Ken Pollack from the Washington Institute said this week that they, they could be there in a couple of weeks. They got that. They could deliver them. They have every ballistic missile that they need. The only part is the compartmentalization, the weaponization part. And they could be, according to the Washington Institute, just a couple of months away. I've heard up to two years away. So if Israel strikes, that's probably where they would strike um, in this chain 
of, of what's going on here. So Iran is on a threshold. The American red line is they can get everything together. The uranium metal, which they're illegally working on, they can get it all together, but they're not going to put the last bolt in and turn the screw. And they could say, okay, they're not nuclear weapons capable. They're not nuclear weapons uh, ready. They're capable. And that's okay for America. So we don't have to actually deal with it. That's not good enough for Israel. This negotiation, if Israel is capable, puts them in a position where Israel will strike sooner than later because it can't wait. Now, Israel may have missed its opportunities in 2007 with a misguided, purposely misguided national intelligence estimate that said they had stopped their weaponization program, proven false when Bibi had the great Mossad discovery a few years ago. Right. Um, and there was a, a Barack and Netanyahu wanted attack in 2012, but the Ghan of Mossad, head of Mossad and others did not want it to happen. So is, is Israel capable? America just turned them down on the fuel tankers to, that, to bring them there. Can Israel do this? So when I, when I was in Israel talking to um, high ranking people who are in think tanks and people who are the experts, who, who are the ones who tell the idea of what to do, um, they talk about mowing the grass. We remember mowing the grass of Gaza. Now we're mowing the grass in Iran. That is what they're talking about. Much more dangerous, much more sophisticated um, of what we of what Israel will have to do. And will America help them mow the grass? So if Israel can set them back, you realize Iran in every province has missile cities to attack Israel. Forgetting about what Hezbollah does if they're activated. And they are they are the deep bunkers. Can Israel hit them? Um, we, Israel doesn't have the massive ordinances. America won't give it to Israel. They won't give them the means to deliver them, even if they gave them the, the MOABs, the great ordinances, because they need B-52s or B-2s to do that, and Israel doesn't have that. So can Israel make a, a, a strike by cyber, by sabotage, as they've been doing already, but kinetically, that they hit certain places? And I think if they do, it will be weaponization places, not enrichment places, because that ship has sailed. Wow, um, I don't know. You know, the just just hearing the the different perspectives on the issue does not necessarily instill optimism in people's hearts. But I do want to end on that on that note, Eric. And I want to ask you um, briefly: What are your hopes or thoughts about the possible implosion of the Iranian regime and a potential upheaval within Iran done by the Iranian people for the Iranian people? Is that something we're even allowed to dream of that might happen anytime in the near future? There's protests of the tens of thousands in Isfahan and other cities, not over um, their abusive behavior, but of their mismanagement. There's a water crisis going on in Iran. People are thirsty. And the sanctions have an effect. People are poor. But does this authoritarian, revolutionary Islamic regime care about its people? It does, as long as it doesn't threaten the regime. As long as they have them in control, then they are okay. If it threatens the regime, then they'll back down. They don't want to lose their power. Um, that's why they want, that's why sanctions that are for not actually setting back their program at the minimum are so dangerous because it perpetuates this regime. Is it possible? Nobody saw the fall of the Soviet Union. Nobody saw the Arab winter coming, even though a lot of negative consequences. It is possible. But what we're doing 
is counterproductive to that. And I think we need to say we need to stand with the Iranian people so they can take charge of their lives and have what we have, freedom. What an, an incredible note to end with. Stand by the Iranian people's hopes and dreams and allow them to live freely, just like us. That should be a, a given, almost, um, and of course, notion that should be instilled in all of us. Thank you so much, Dr. Eric Mandel, as always, for joining us on JBS and for enriching our viewers and all of us with your immense knowledge on all of these complex issues that are happening all around us and do have a significant impact on our lives. Thank you, Eric. My pleasure. And I'd like to thank you all for watching. And to all I say, stay safe and stay happy. I'd like to thank our director, Sloan Copeland, JBS's managing director, Dara Golub, our technical manager, Michael Paley, transmission manager, John McDevitt, and to our wonderful producer of In The News, the wonderful Carol Lilienthal. For JBS, I'm Shahar Razani. Until next time, shalom and lehitraot.